Welcome to Sales is Not a Dirty Word, the show that proves if it's a fit, it's a fact. I'm your host, revolutionary sales coach, Alicia Barr, the creator of the Matchmaker Sales Method. If you're a done-for-you service provider who wants to convert 80% of their sales meetings without pressure, pitching, or pretending to be someone else, then this is for you. Today, we're talking to Diane Wingert. She is a no BS psychotherapist turned coach who helps solopreneurs with big ideas and busy brains feel confident about standing out so they can get known and hired for their unique genius. She is the creator of the Boss Up Breakthrough and host of the Driven Woman Entrepreneur podcast. And I really, really like her, you guys. Let's go. Welcome to Sales is Not a Dirty Word, Diane. That's a perfect intro, but we could talk dirty words if you like. That's not, the, <laughs> that's not off the table for me. It's one of the reasons that I like you so much. Um, <laughs> aligned in that way, for sure. Um, so, Diane, you have a really interesting niche of the so- type of solopreneurs that you work with, and um, that's ADHD. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to learn more about about the differences that business owners with ADHD experience as compared to business owners who don't have that? Awesome question. A great place to start. Here's the thing. Um, People with ADHD are much more likely to start a business. And this has always been true. There are many very well-known CEOs and entrepreneurs who have ADHD. Historically, they've been men for no other reason Mm -hmm. than this. Because for many years, the only people being diagnosed with ADHD were little boys who grew up to become men. And here's a very funny, kind of cringy, but also true story. When I was in graduate school to become a psychotherapist in the 90s, I was working with a group of little boys who had ADHD on their social skills. And I knew that if I only worked with these kids a couple hours a week, it would have limited value. So I started asking, can I work with their parents? Well, guess what? I started Mm. meeting a bunch of dads because they were the ones who were usually bringing the kids because mom was home with the other kids. And Mm. I started noticing things about these adult men that I thought, wait a minute, in the early 90s, Alicia, common thinking in psychiatry and mental health was ADHD is something little boys can have and they outgrow it by late adolescence. Well, guess what? I'm meeting all these dads and I'm like, uh, no, sir, it's not outgrown. As a matter of fact, you didn't even know that your kid had this difference because the school called you and said, um, Mr. So-and-so, we need to talk to you about your son. And they're like, why? He seems perfectly normal to me. So I started noticing there are certain traits that don't you don't outgrow. And fast forward mm. to 2000, now you can be diagnosed with ADHD as an adult. And even further down the line, now women, adult women, many of them over 40, over 50, over 60 are being identified with ADHD. But guess what? They've been entrepreneurial all along whether they're working in someone else's company or starting their own for a couple of reasons. One, people with ADHD are risk takers. People with ADHD can be impulsive. People with ADHD often blurt things out because they're at the tip of their tongue. And sometimes that gets you fired. 
So a lot of people find that the reason they, I, I've interviewed a lot of people like, how did you become an entrepreneur? And a couple of people told me, I just got fired so many times, I figured I was better off starting my own business. <laughs> but what's also true is that people with ADHD tend to be very creative, tend to be very innovative, tend to question the way things are done and mm -hmm. want to disrupt, want to innovate, want to shake things up. That doesn't make you a good fit for many workplaces that just want you to do your freaking job in color within the lines. So there's many other reasons, but those are the primary ones. Creativity, risk-taking, and not being well-suited to having a boss. That makes so much sense because I have a theory about entrepreneurs that we were all previously labeled difficult employees, high performing, but difficult employees. And we were labeled difficult because we saw an opportunity to do something a better way. And everyone was like, could you just not? We're all just trying to get paid here. And you're really messing that up for us by adding more work. And we'd like to do less. And then they're just like, you know what? I'm going to start my own business. And I guess it's this ADHD connection that causes that, which is so very interesting. Mm -hmm. It's, um, I think there's a gentleman, uh, don't quote me on this, but his name, I believe, is Johan Vickland. He, I think, as at the State University of New York, so SUNY, he is in the Department of Entrepreneurship, and his specialty is entrepreneurship among individuals with ADHD. We tend to be very intuitive. I have ADHD. So uh, we tend to be very intuitive. We tend to be very creative. We tend to want to go into action quickly. And I mean, this sounds little, like me. I'm telling I'm you, what, when you, when you're a little kid and you can't sit still because the pace of the classroom is boring or the mm -hmm. subject is boring or you're being told you have to keep your hands to yourself when you'd much rather be tickling the person sitting next to you or <laughs> make, making people laugh. If you were a class clown, you have ADHD. If you were done with your work quicker than everyone else, and then you started shaking things up because you were bored, you have ADHD. So it sort of stands to reason, to your point, if you're in the workplace and you're literally expected to perform within the confines of your job description. But yet you can't help noticing that all kinds of things that aren't in your job description could be done differently, could be done better, could be done more effectively, more efficiently. I'm going to tell you a little story. One of my very first jobs was as a fitness trainer in a Nautilus <laughs> studio, which probably doesn't even exist anymore. And 10 days into the job as a fitness trainer, it was like a part-time thing when I was finishing college at UCLA. I was just going about my business and I started noting things in the business that I thought could be improved. Within 10 days of working there, I had filled 17 pages of a legal pad with my observations. <laughs> Wow. So the next next time the owner came around, because we had a manager, but we had an absentee owner, the owner came around, I introduced myself, I said, you know, I, there's a couple of thoughts I have, if you'd like me to share them. And he, of <laughs> course, thought, what the hell? And uh, I, 
I, he said, sure. He thought, oh, I'll amuse this little girl. What does she know? And I started going page after page. By the time I got to the fourth page, he said, Diane, would you excuse me for a moment? Steps out of the room. Next thing I know, I see the manager walking by the window with a box. I got promoted to manager in 10 days oh. because I think like an entrepreneur. Well, I love that story because it means that the owner was very smart. Yes. Um, and didn't have any ego issues, <laughs> which yes, is which is really a problem the with the Yes. <laughs> and I and I think to, to you're very, very accurate, Alicia. I think the reason why it worked out the way I mean, I did I felt really bad for the guy walking down the street and I was getting the death stare, let me tell you. Um, I wasn't there to take anyone's job. It's just that I've learned for people with ADHD, especially those who give in to the entrepreneurial urge, we are captivated by the potential to close the gap between the way things are and the way we can imagine them to be. And we fall in love with the notion of closing that gap and we just want to get busy doing it. A lot of times that does piss people off. A lot of times people are like, stay in your place. This stay is in your, lane. your place. Stay in your lane. So if you get told that enough times, you go make your own lane because very few workplaces will make space for that level of disruption from a single individual. It's so true. And it's amazing that that owner did make space for it. And it was definitely was to his, their benefit. Yeah. Yep. So there are what I love hearing how many good things there are about being ADHD and an entrepreneur. What are some struggles that they might have? And maybe they don't realize they're related to ADHD. And then I'd love to talk about any easy ideas for solving those. Because I think to start with, it's nice for everybody to have a little bit of grace and forgiveness and acceptance with themselves that these things that they probably feel really bad about are a symptom of something that is really a superpower, mm. it sounds like. And, and yeah, when, right, like pros and cons to everything. So learning how to leverage it correctly so that it is a superpower, I, I think that that would be so valuable. Absolutely. Well, you know how in your matchmaker sales method, you always talk about fitting? Yes. I, I'm going to tell you this, uh, because there's really two camps out there. There's a lot of people talking about ADHD right now, especially if you hang out on TikTok. Everybody, everybody either thinks they have ADHD or they're trying to help people who have ADHD or they're calling people out for their ADHD. So there's just a lot of that going on right now. But I also think because the the dramatic increase in the number of women being identified with ADHD, mm -hmm. there tends to be a lot of conversations on this topic happening. And I am a licensed psychotherapist. I am a certified coach. I am a serial entrepreneur. I have raised three children to adulthood who have ADHD and I have it myself. I think I know a thing or two about ADHD. And one of the things <laughs> I know is that the two camps, the two diametrically opposed camps that shout the loudest are ADHD is a superpower. And of course, that's really appealing that's a very seductive message. And many newly diagnosed people are like, oh, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> I, want, I want to follow these people because I've been feeling like crap Bad about, about myself my whole life. Yeah. yeah. So let me go align myself with these people. And then there are other people who are like, this is a disorder. 
this is, I mean, it has disorder in the name. You might've noticed um, mm-hmm. attention <laughs> deficit deficit. That's a real you yeah. know, uh, hyperactivity disorder. They're like, no, this is, there's a reason why this is in the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders, because this is a condition that can ruin your life or at least make it way more painful. The fact is they're both true. Mm-hmm. They're both true. And what determines whether you will lean more towards the superpower camp or lean more towards the disabling condition camp comes down to a few things. One, the goodness of fit between you and your environment. If you're a person who can't sit still, if you're a person who treats boredom like a life-threatening condition, if you're a person who cannot curb your enthusiasm under any circumstances and you are brimming with creativity and innovation, do not do something for a living that doesn't allow you to live in that space. Don't confine yourself to an occupation that would be excruciating Hmm. for you. Now, entrepreneurship is not right for every person simply because they have ADHD. In fact, Mm -hmm. one of the things that I talk about a lot is there's a difference between not wanting to have a boss and being willing to be the boss of yourself. Mm-hmm. That, that's such a huge distinction because what a lot of people with ADHD is, I, my boss is a tool. I don't want anyone telling me what to do. I know better. I need creative self-expression. I need freedom. I need to be able to work my hours. I need, I need, I need, I need. That's all freaking awesome. But mm. what's also true is that people with ADHD desperately, desperately need structure systems, support, and accountability, without which they will probably flail. And this is true of many people with ADHD who go into sales. Sales is a great occupation for people with ADHD, and many people thrive in sales who have ADHD, whether they realize it or not. Why? Because we love challenge. We love being able to test ourselves. Most of us are charismatic. Most of us can think very quickly in the moment. Most of mm-hmm. us have a lot of curiosity and a lot of empathy and a lot of genuine interest in other people. All mm-hmm. those qualities make someone terrific in sales. But where we suck is scheduling, follow up, details, details. Making promises to, oh, if the person says, well, ask you a question and you're like, you know what? I don't know the answer to that, but I'm going to find out. Shake hands, walk out of the sales meeting, promptly forget all about the fact that you said you were (laughs) going to follow up or even who you said it to. It's not a character flaw, but we need systems and structure and supports and accountability so that we can act on our good intentions. In the moment of a sales conversation, you can promise someone the world and genuinely mean it. And when you don't follow through, it's not because you're a lying sack of you know what, who never meant it when you said it. It's because you don't have the systems in place to remind you that you said it. 
Mm-hmm. And that's where that's where most salespeople with ADHD fail. But it's also true why many people with ADHD fail as entrepreneurs. Another reason many people with ADHD fail as entrepreneurs, uh, I'd say the number one reason is because they don't know how to be their own boss because they no longer have the systems and structures and all that and the accountability. Mm-hmm. They don't, they need to be able to build that. That's one of the things I help people do. But the other thing is a lot of people with ADHD have rejection sensitive issues. Like mm. the, they anticipate being rejected, being criticized, being judged, being left out. And because we largely make decisions based on intuition rather than fact, because our brains are moving too fast to, mm. to, you know, do the research and gather the facts. So we, we make decisions mostly based on our intuition, which is often really accurate. But Mm. when it comes to rejection, we have an itchy trigger finger, most of us. And that can get in the way of putting yourself out there, showing up authentically, making offers, Mm. making sales, showing up with confidence. You may be the best coach, consultant, service provider, whatever you are, but you have to have sales skills. And you might know how to present information. You might know how to ask good questions. You might know how to bring the charm and all that. But if you are really sensitive to hearing no, you're not going to make it all the way across the finish line. And you'll see this. You probably see this with some of the people you work with. They will study the sales material. They will know everything they need to say. They will get themselves in front of the right customer, the right lead, the right prospect. They'll put everything out there, but they won't ask the closing question. They might beat hmm. around the bush and say, so what do you think? You know, yeah. Yeah, what do I think about what? You know, like um, they beat around the bush or they don't ask a direct enough question which your prospect needs to be able to make a decision. Otherwise, they're going to tell you what's the kiss of death. I'll think about it. Mm-hmm. No, they won't. They're going to stop thinking about it the minute you walk out the door. And so will you. So yeah. this, is not, this is not just a situation with entrepreneurs. It's like not everybody with ADHD has rejection sensitivity. But if you do, it's absolutely going to hold you back and get in your way, whether you're in sales or have your own business for all the reasons I've talked about. Make sense? Yes, it makes so much sense. And I mean, especially the part about systems, I've obviously, you know, gotten past rejection sensitivity. Um, yes, because it's not personal. Um, and honestly, I'd like to uh, I, I like to uncover first whether it's not a fit so that we can kind of, you know, I think a lot of times the rejection happens when you your only goal was maybe getting a yes. Yes. In a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um So, but the systems thing, I mean, all the time I'm like, can someone just manage me and tell me what to do? Like, what is the priority? Yes. And it sounds like- Do you know why that is? Because (laughs) where people with ADHD struggle, and we're just going to assume for the purposes of this conversation that you have ADHD, okay? Okay. Uh, As many entrepreneurs do, probably even the majority, diagnosed, undiagnosed, maybe they were diagnosed in childhood and they thought they outgrew it, but they just learned some workarounds. Mm. Or maybe they have the traits, Alicia, but they don't have the diagnosis because they don't 
qualify. I think this is probably the most important thing I'm going to say in this conversation because there's so many people yammering on about ADHD right now. And I'm sorry, but many of them don't know what they're talking about. Having these traits just makes you a person who thinks differently, who has, you know, highly energetic, sometimes obsessive, fast thinking, fast acting, fast decision making, risk taking, creative person. What makes it a disorder is when you have these traits and a poor fit with your environment. Mm-hmm. And and negative self-talk about mm-hmm. what these traits mean, mm-hmm. which causes impairment. Mm-hmm. Paralysis. Get, yeah, one of those. You don't get diagnosed with ADHD merely because you have these traits. It's the traits plus impairment equals the diagnosis. In fact, <laughs> you're reminding me, I was on a another podcast interview with someone and they were asking me about ADHD and entrepreneurship. And I said, what do you call someone who is a risk taker, highly energetic, fast talker, fast decision maker, uh, able to stop, drop and roll. If they're doing something and realize it isn't working, they'll pivot and do something else. And like the blink of an eye brimming with new ideas always wants to build something new, always has to have a project, usually multitasking has 50 different things going on at once, 50 different tabs open on their computer, maybe even four or five different businesses at the same time or one after the other. And they don't have a diagnosis of ADHD. What do you call that person? An entrepreneur. Frustrated? Oh, (laughs) an entrepreneur. (laughs) Yeah. An entrepreneur because you need those traits, but the systems the structure, the supports, the accountability, what that does is replace or augment or supplement where we actually struggle, which is in the area of executive functions, planning, prioritizing, breaking a big task down into subtasks, lining Mm -hmm. them up in the right order, estimating the correct amount of time for each one to get done so that Mm -hmm. we can make it to the deadline without pulling consecutive all-nighters for a week. You ask someone how they got through college. If they tell you, yeah, I've hardly ever went to class. I, you know, did this and that. And then like two nights before the paper was due, I just pulled a couple of all-nighters with a bunch of Red Bull. I'm like, you're looking at someone who has ADHD. Man, this is just like lining up for me. <laughs> I would just like study right before. <laughs> I had like a photographic memory. So I would like just remember everything. And then it would promptly leave my brain maybe a month later, not promptly. I had like a a few months. She had a little bit of stickiness, but yeah. Well, you had to make room for all the other stuff you wanted to learn. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Um, So these systems and this way, these ways of prioritizing stuff, this is what you do. You give people these systems and you've dialed them in over a number of years, I'm guessing, in understanding What's going to make the ADHD, what's going to calm the ADHD brain? What's going to be the best way of presenting it and implementing these systems? Because usually people with ADHD, I'm guessing, based on the traits you've explained, would be like, ew, systems, and not want to do it. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Is I think what's funny, now, I do find gender differences. And, and let me be clear, like I work with people of all genders. I market to women. 
Um, I work with men, I work with people that are non-binary, I work with gender non-conforming, and I work with a lot of women. And most women will say they know they need systems, but they don't want to have them. Or, and when you hear people, like I love all these statements, when people say, I'm a multi-passionate, you have ADHD. (laughs) I'm multi-potentialate, you have ADHD. And they prefer those terms because it allows them to, I'm going to get so much shit for this. It allows them to say, I don't need systems and structure and support. Mm, I I actually mm -hmm. use supervision in terms of accountability, safety, structure, supervision, support, all of that, because we have too many brilliant ideas we fall madly in love with every one of them and we want to implement them or execute on them immediately, regardless of how many other brilliant ideas we're already executing on. And of course, we don't want to leave anything out. So we're a multi-potentialate. I don't know how many multi-potentialates actually have profitable businesses for this reason. And I had to learn this the hard way because coaches need coaches. Someone said to me, it's a lot easier to get a soccer ball down the field when you're kicking one ball 10 times. You, Diane, are kicking 10 different balls one time each. You're not winning. You're not even able to get anywhere near the goalpost. I'm like, ow, (laughs) but true. I, I love the visual. I usually think of like, a bunch of just started plates and it's like not a complete meal. And there's just all these like half started plates everywhere because the seeing it through isn't the fun part. It's the idea part. That's the fun part. Yes. Thank you. In fact, one of the things that I say all the time is that the best idea you've ever had, the juiciest, sexiest, most innovative idea you've ever had is the one at the top of the stack. Because it's fresh. It's like a fresh pancake. It's fresh. It's got the steam coming off. And it hasn't had an opportunity to be spoiled in your imagination Mm. by real experience. So I call them fireflies. Like we just, that's why I say I work with people with big ideas and busy brains. They have big ideas because they, I love people that are creative and they just have this genius, this brilliance. And of course they want to do everything, but what I help them do is not only create systems and structures and supports, I provide the supervision and the accountability, which will get transferred to someone else, someone on their team so that they can manage themselves better Mm -hmm. because the reality is that it is pure indulgence and foolishness to think that we could chase every brilliant idea we have and continue to give the ones that are already in the queue the attention they need to see them through. We are great starters. We suck at finishing. And a painful conversation that I had to have was, Diane, Every one of your ideas has the opportunity to fulfill you beyond your wildest dreams. 
but you have not learned to tolerate the monotony of success. <laughs> and I was like, what the what? What what do you mean monotony? Mon- you lost me. Like you say monotony one more time. I'm out of here. And they're like, no, Diane, listen, you're great at starting. You suck at finishing. And until you learn what you need from your environment to be able to, you need the guardrails, you need the boundaries, you need the ability to eliminate distractions. And it's not just the, the systems. You need ways to refuel your love for this idea. Mm. Otherwise, you're, like I think about them as my idea babies. Like, yeah. let me put it straight. I'm monogamous when it comes to my romantic relationships, but I'm a freaking philanderer when it comes to <laughs> ideas. Like, I'm all over. I'm like, oh, there goes another one, you know, yeah. and I want to do them all, but you can't. And so you need a way to renew your mm-hmm. infatuation for the project, for the program, for the book you're writing, for the podcast you're producing, for the service line you're delivering for the business model you're in to be able to see it through at least until you can hire someone else to take over your functions. Before that, allowing yourself to get pulled in a new direction is going to F you up. And I had to learn that the hard way, as do most people like me. (sighs) I love this so, so much. It's just like, I hope that it is making everybody feel like <clears throat> light bulbs are going off and synapses are connecting and that there's hope. And <laughs> that is a great stopping point for us. Um, this has been another episode of Sales is Not a Dirty Word with Diane Wingert. Diane, where can people find you and work with you? I love to say, if you like the sound of my voice, and what I have to say with it, you should absolutely follow me on the Driven Woman Entrepreneur Podcast, even if you're not a woman. And my favorite social media platform is LinkedIn. I have a newsletter over there with the same name, the Driven Woman Entrepreneur. That would be the best way for us to start a relationship with each other. Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming, Diane. And thank you everybody for listening. This is the show for done for you service providers who want to convert 80% of their sales meetings without pressure pitching or pretending to be someone else. And if you'd like to level up your sales, I have a sales level up call. The description and the link is in the show notes where I will identify three things you can do to immediately increase your sales. And I'll see you all in the next episode.